welcome to Masturbators, the podcast where we talk about sex, love, masturbation, feminism, body image, other things. So I should just learn the description of my podcast and then say it in the intro, like a normal person. But I don't. <laughs> I'm here with Jay Whitehead. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Just got a Thank little you. frog. Yep. Called. What should we name him? I don't know. Fred. 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 Fred the frog. So. Uh, just lives in a throat right now, but he's adorable, so that's fine. <laughs> um, and uh, we're going to talk about art. You're an artist, would you? The specific kind of artist, visual artist? Yeah, so. Describe yourself. I'd say first and foremost I'm an interaction designer. Um, I do visual arts, but I also do performance, coding and programming, film. Amazing. Pseudo poetry. We all do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't call it real poetry because it's that brand that everyone does. Oh, I see. <laughs> so you're like, it's pseudo poetry, it's actually even realer. Yeah. It's a real deal. Um, and we're going to talk about art and coming out and expression of self and other, uh, other fun things. Um, as you can tell, this week I am incredibly in control of what I'm thinking um, <laughs> but yeah I think we're going to start with you and talk a bit about your background in the arts and how you got there and then I think we'll get on to life and how we deal with it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that, does that sound alright? sounds excellent very good um, so you studied art Yeah. what made you want to study art? Um, so this is, yeah, we'll just, we'll dive into the gritty stuff straight away because that's kind of where it came from, I guess. Um, I've had quite a colourful past um, and I think that's what's kind of made me kind of want to go on a sort of creative journey and explore about myself. Um, I was never good at art in school. I didn't enjoy it. I hated it. Um, so I kind of just did it. My friends were doing it and I yeah. wanted to be with my friends and I thought I'd study art and I was the worst in the class and it was pretty bad. Um, and I ended up doing it for A-level. But once I got to that point, I realised that I could use it as a form of self-therapy. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where my passion started to come from. Um, because... So, I don't know where to start, <laughs> there's so much. Um, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with leukaemia. Um, and at the time it was so normal. And I think once I became a teenager, I was like, whoa, okay, who am I? Um, I've spent three years in hospital with just my mum and some nurses. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was eight when I was diagnosed nearly nine so do, at that age do you understand the what that means because <laughs> um, I don't of. know if I would understand it now to be yeah. honest well, somebody told me you have leukemia and I remember when I was in school I went to this Church of England school and I'd heard of Jesus curing this man who had leprosy and so leukemia leprosy obviously the same thing I thought I was going to die and I needed Jesus to come and heal me and um, my mum still laughs about it to this day because I just I was so distressed like oh my god I've got leprosy and my mum was like no you don't have leprosy I was like oh my god yeah 
but I did have cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I was so relieved. Uh, I thought I, w- I was like, oh, I'm not going to die. This is great. Um, there are other things you can die from apart from leprosy, apparently. Turns so, out, yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Weird. <laughs> so yeah, I I didn't I didn't realise it was so psychologically and physically traumatic. Yeah. And once I got to my teenage years, I just didn't know who I was. Um, I was so quiet. I barely speak to people I wasn't very good at making friends um not that I'm now it's difficult <laughs> but I think yeah. we all struggle um yeah like I said to you before we started recording some people are just louder yeah and then it's easier to see them mm-hmm. <laughs> that's literally it I was such a mouse I just everyone used to call me that as well Jay's a mouse and she's fragile fragile was something that really stuck with me um it was one of the first things people started saying to me especially because I couldn't hide that past when I went to secondary school because I still was growing back my hair and I was still so you had the in quotation marks obvious signs of yeah or I guess yeah yeah or something I, I didn't look very well I was very bloated um because I had to take a lot of steroids kids notice that shit <laughs> i guess because they know because kids are sort of i think kids look for stuff mm-hmm. they know and then they see stuff they don't know and i think it just sticks out mm-hmm. um and then kids are shit at a certain age yeah <laughs> definitely so i found myself bullied isolated um i developed an unhealthy relationship with food um and I just didn't want to be around people so I kind of I would take myself to the art department at lunch times because they'd encourage you to sometimes go and do your work at lunch in mm-hmm. the studio sometimes became all the time very quickly um, because it was much easier to kind of pour my feelings into painting and sculpting rather than kind of being out there with the girls trying to deal with life right or them yeah or with myself really it's it's much easier to well in my opinion it's much easier to deal with your emotions with something that can't talk back and yeah fair enough yeah as soon as you're having even a normal conversation with somebody else you can feel them noticing your flaws and you feel yourself feeling that I don't know there's there was a pressure to fit in and I just felt like I didn't because I'd lived an entirely different life. My whole childhood was kind of uprooted. So, yeah, because you kind of because as a kid you have the fortune of thinking you have time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I guess depending on how old you are, you still think that way. But I think the furthest your idea of death is the furthest removed from you when you're a kid. Yeah. Except that for you, it wasn't. Yeah. Which I don't know how aware you are of that as a child or maybe you just get the anxiety of a parent that is worried about that aspect of the entire situation because it is I suppose a really um, real terrible thing that could happen Mm. and so you don't worry about what happened on Power Rangers last week or whatever yeah. Where did that reference come from? <laughs> Which we all worried about when we were eight. The yeah. Power um, but you actually worry about real stuff that most, if you're lucky, I guess, most people don't have to deal with. Yeah. Um, or maybe a lot of people, because I guess, you know, 
different life situations everyone's different and has different experiences with death and around it but i guess like a personal experience of your life being threatened is very it's not probably not rare but it's very traumatic and very different from a lot of other people's experiences yeah. and then you might have i don't know if you outgrow childhood but you you might lose what other people um what other people find so effortlessly which is the childish um like that blue-eyed naivete of like everything has its time and yeah we'll just play definitely that that was that was gone pretty quickly i think i didn't really have an idea of my own mortality until i was a teenager and i found out from my parents that there was a point where they got called to the hospital because i just wasn't going to make it and i, d I didn't know i wasn't going to make it i was just in bed and I felt a bit crap I'd felt crapper yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there's been some times where I've really been on the verge of death and I just haven't been aware um and I think when they told me that that really shook me up um I kind of meant and and that's the other thing I think um like I had trauma happen to me when I was a kid which was completely different but I didn't get it and then you're 12 13 14 and your brain starts making connections it hasn't before mm -hmm. and suddenly you go oh that thing I can now understand which I think means I feel like sometimes um, processing of something that happens to you is delayed until you get what happened yeah and I imagine that that is a very big thing to process mm. and a very big thing to understand and once you understand it it becomes a burden that you didn't know was there definitely so, yeah. yeah I think I kind of at the time, I was having a very different childhood to other children. Yeah. Um, but I didn't necessarily understand. I knew that I was sick and I knew that I had to be in hospital a lot. And I, I knew a lot of crazy scientific words that a lot of kids my yeah. age didn't know. And I was, I'd be chatting to them about all sorts and they just didn't get it. Um, I was kind of living with the adults. So I became a very weird child yeah. Yeah, <laughs> really yeah. quick. Um, but yeah, oh, I lost my thread now. <laughs> um, but you weren't a kid, the usual kid. Yeah, and and other kids, I suppose, notice. They noticed that, um, which was difficult, especially when I went into secondary school. Um, I think also it kind of that led to a lot of other psychological issues because it made me feel a resentment towards my body for. Mm. for failing me um so I gained a lot of weight when I was on treatment um so as a result when I came off treatment my th first thought was it's time to you know start dieting it's time to start losing weight people will like you more people like you won't be sick anymore like this is so the weight was not just associated with in quotation marks being fat but also because the treatment had change your body in that way yeah it was almost like you had to rid yourself of that to get rid of the remnants of the sickness yeah I just I wanted it gone like every kind of I don't know there, there was a lot of yeah brain <laughs> there was a lot of feeling like my body was betraying me and that that this kind of heaviness was 
kind of the sickness was still there mm-hmm. um, and I needed it gone because I needed my body to work properly because I've got a life to live and that kind of thing yeah. um, and so yeah I felt very ashamed of my body I was struggling a lot with that um, I got chronic fatigue syndrome as well um, which is very common for cancer survivors and a lot of people don't actually know that when they go in for treatment nobody really tells you when you start that you're probably going to have some sort of disability for life or some sort of impact on your life that's just not going to go away and I think is it because of the way that that because I guess you're going in for chemo yeah and chemo is incredibly harsh so harsh especially on a child's body you're still developing I mean I was almost going through puberty when I finished treatment so right can absolutely destroy your body and yeah and that was a difficult so is the chronic fatigue still something you struggle with today yeah um so it's it's kind of it makes me very tired all the time um hence the name (laughs) Um, (laughs) chronic fatigue tired all the time um but it's also there's chronic pain so I feel bruised everywhere all the time um my joints click out of place I lose my thread really easily all the time um processing power is difficult so that's yeah it was, it's hard to do things that other people my age are doing and it has been since I came off treatment yeah um which is difficult because I thought when I finished I was going to be like all the other kids again and I just yeah. wasn't um which I think also led to me shutting myself into the studio and kind of just making work. Because all my friends, they wanted to go running or go to the gym or mm-hmm. go bowling or whatever. And I couldn't really pick up a bowling ball without my wrist clicking out of place. Oh, really? Um, or like, yeah, yeah, running wasn't a thing. I was always the slowest in the class and everyone used to mock me for it. And I was always the slowest in the class, but just was, was incredibly unfit as a child. <laughs> so I mildly empathise. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes running, really. <laughs> uh, apparently some people do. Goodness. <laughs> I, I've not met... Well, I have met them. I'm still confused about their intentions. <laughs> what are you doing? But I've heard it's fun. I don't mm. know. Maybe I should try it sometime and then I can <laughs> shit <Yeah>. on running. <laughs> don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, exactly. Um... But yeah, I imagine that's hard because, and again, we've had a bit of a chat before we started recording, um, and I mentioned like this sort of what the intention of the podcast is, and I think that this works sort of really well with what you just said in the sense that what we what everyone is told to try to achieve is to be normal mm-hmm. and to fit in and to do what the other people are doing, and that in order to achieve your happiness. Um, you need to fit in with the kids or you need yeah. to fit in with the crowd or you need to fit in with society. Um, and, like, obviously, there are rules in society where it makes sense that we all adhere to them. And they're called laws. Like, <laughs> um, and ethics, I guess. Um, but I think that can make it very hard for people who feel like they're the odd one out because there's no tool to deal with that because you're not taught... I mean, maybe you're taught to embrace the differences, but not really on a large scale, I don't think. I think no. there can be something personal that your parents tell you, but then the problem sort of is the way the w- world works around you and the way you experience it. It probably doesn't sound true mm-hmm. to you at a certain age or have experienced certain things. 
and I imagine as a child that it's incredibly hard to not be like the other children especially because I'm imagining you've missed a, a part of that childhood yeah and I imagine that the dream is to get to that place of normalcy yeah I um, just wanted to be normal yeah um and I think that's what I was striving to be when I kind of I wasn't striving to be normal because I was shutting myself away and I wasn't really hanging out with people. Yeah. And, um, I guess you were thinking you were failing to be normal. Yeah. yeah. So I just kind of locked myself into a hole. Um, but, yeah. But through that you found something else, I imagine. Yeah. So I found that I was actually really enjoying art once I realised what it could do for me. Yeah. And that I could just put my earphones in and paint a picture and do you remember what the first art or not the very first maybe but sort of the first pieces of art what they depicted do you remember were they abstract were there was there um i was really into portraiture um as a teenager i was really into my emo bands as a teenager yes! <laughs> which ones i was i was a bit of a i say was i i am a paramore fan okay. um so i was they were so sort of emo back them. in the day. So, yeah, I, was, I fancied Hayley Williams. I was in denial that, uh, about... <laughs> I only I only um, found out about Paramore because they did the Twilight Oh, goodness, yeah. Song. And I like Decode, <laughs> and I like some of their songs. I think, I don't know, maybe they weren't emo enough when I found them. <laughs> I was into him. Do you remember him? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, if there's a goth prince, it's Villalevalo. Um I wasn't into My Chemical Romance. I discovered really? them, like, when um, Danger Days came out. Goodness. I don't know how I missed them. Yeah, that's but a I, vital I was so busy of... with him that I missed those people. Um, yeah, but wasn't into the emo yeah <laughs> emo spec <laughs> so yeah I kind of I used to draw that and then I started drawing people who had an impact on me um I think one of the first real things that I painted and I felt something from was this portrait of um I'm gonna hate myself for saying this but this portrait of my ex my boyfriend at the time mm. um young love <laughs> and he was going through so many struggles um he was wildly anxious um and he self-harmed um and he wanted to be an actor but he felt like or what i can remember or i don't know how how it came across was that he felt like he just couldn't he he wasn't good enough or it wouldn't be a viable career option and i just I felt for him because I felt this boy that was an outcast and he didn't really know what his sexuality was and he was confused and he was scared and I was confused and scared and didn't know what my sexuality was and didn't know where I Mm. fit in so I really really related. So you found Um, that one person that you related to. Yeah um, and I remember painting this picture it was a portrait but it was kind of about who he is and him coming coming through the other side and bravery and there are all these symbols and it was it was a really bad painting <laughs> it was awful i'm i'm really sorry to him for <laughs> painting this really awful picture of him i thought he was beautiful um but i didn't make him look very beautiful um but yeah it, it just it made me feel so many things and it made me 
I don't know, re-evaluate what it is to fit in and mm-hmm. my own emotions where it fit in with those emotions. Um, and that was kind of the point where I decided I, I wanted to be an artist. Um, and my mum said, no, you're going to do an English degree. Yeah. <laughs> Fair um, enough. And I thought about the English degree for a little while, and then I didn't do it. <laughs> Which, I, fair enough. Yeah. Because also, no, you're going to have a career, mm-hmm. so you're going to do an English degree. Yeah. That's a hilarious. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> offend people with English degrees. I just wonder how much that gets you, unless you want to be a teacher. What yeah. do English degree people do? I mean, there are a lot of jobs you can get with an English degree because it's kind of an all-round oh, degree okay. and it shows that you're literate and it shows that you can write well and oh, all of that kind of stuff. But I think she'd just seen art, so you're going to be an artist and put your work in galleries. Well, you've got to fight with all these other people. Sure. and It's it, not easy, I guess. Mm, it took a lot of explaining that being an artist isn't necessarily putting your work in galleries and then mm. there are a lot of things you can do with it and the creative industry is growing so rapidly yeah. um, and I basically did all this research and I was showing her look at all these jobs I can do I can become a graphic designer and she was like excellent become a graphic designer because they get paid well the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll get a stable office job you can sit in a chair all day so you don't have to hurt your joints that'll be amazing mm. um I was like, okay, my mum wants me to be a graphic designer. It's not really what I want to do, but it's far it better than the English to, degree. Yeah. Um, so I went and did a foundation course, um, and I specialised in visual communications, so illustration and graphic design. And I was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't like drawing with computers. I hate typography. I don't want to design websites. Um, it just bores me. Fair and enough. And I kind of all of the things that I was creating that I was enjoying were coming from not necessarily a place of hurt but kind of a place of self-discovery and and I was getting excited about this journey of learning who I was and Mm. who I could be um and designing a brochure for a company that sells toothpaste or whatever just doesn't, doesn't excite do it. me, no. It How, just do, really doesn't turn me on, you know. About your gums or <laughs> no. the hidden truths of your cav- cavities. I don't yeah, there's <laughs> just there's just nothing exciting about yeah. selling stuff for corporations. Well, to me, there there are people who do enjoy it, yeah. and, and who are really good at it. And I do wish that I had those talents because some people are just kind of gifted at being able to make something that makes people want things and I think that's I, I don't know if I, I find it very interesting and I think I might be good at it but I also find it really horrible do you know what yeah, I mean yeah it feels, feels so slightly like, immoral it kind of does I talked to a guy uh, at my office who does the marketing and he's like he studied psychological marketing mm. and I was like okay I'm afraid you're the enemy now and he's like yeah no like, it's just that thing that you know how to abuse and like anyone who studied psychological marketing I find it fucking fascinating and like if you want to talk about it with me like email the podcast I'm not here to alienate anyone and like we, we live in a society where capitalism is the thing that's happening and buying things and selling things is how we make money and how we whatever like how we function um 
and toothpaste is important and like <laughs> uh, you know as long as I mean I guess it's I don't know I kind of hate it but then I get where it can be interesting like I would imagine that designing a marketing campaign could be quite interesting and getting the results in and knowing that it worked and finding out what works because like in the end you're almost like experimenting with society which is kind of cool mm-hmm. but I suppose also immoral if I say it out loud it's like you are playing weird mind tricks on people um, but yeah like not to alienate anyone but it's an interesting I mean they're different talents right so yeah. there are people who can go and make a campaign that'll earn Coca-Cola another billion I imagine I don't know if you need <laughs> one um, and then there are people who can express very individual things um, that capture a few or you know less of people's attention because I guess no art piece is ever going to get the exposure of a Coca-Cola advert but it's yeah they're they're, they're they're not I guess lacking one or the other doesn't make you worse or better no it's just that you're expressing yourself differently and I think as long as you find something that makes you happy that's something to hold on to yeah definitely um, I think everyone has their skills and yeah kind of it's how you use them, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's a talent in itself to realise what you like. I think a lot of people, um, and like at times I struggle with going, hold on, what do I actually want to do? And like once you find that thing you like, I think that in itself is a talent to listen to yourself, even though it's difficult. That might be a difficult goal to reach, to go, hey, actually, let's try and, and do this. Yeah. I think it's that kind of fuck it moment yeah um, that's kind of what happened really um because I think without knowing by this point I'd kind of been dragged in by an eating disorder that I was in denial about having um and I started doing this project I went vegan um the worst reason to go vegan is to lose weight. It's is um, this is a movement for the animals and yeah, I'm, or the probably, planet. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, so it, yeah, I feel a bit ashamed. To but say I that think, really, but. but I do feel like, as someone with an eating disorder, it's that's why I'm very careful. Like I was vegan for a bit, and then I was a vegetarian. Now I'm an omnivore, just because my brain loves. Um, uh, what is it? Permit? No, the other one. Jesus Christ, uh, uh, what's it called when you have an eating disorder and you don't eat certain things? Restricting? Yes. Yeah, my brain loves restricting. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm not saying that veganism or vegetarianism or whateverism is an eating disorder, but I think that people with an eating disorder are attracted to diets that restrict yeah. certain because foods. Not only does it seem like a restrictive lifestyle from the outside, um, it's not. Um, like vegans that might be listening veganism is it can be so open yeah and like you can be of any weight when you're vegan and like it's not like i've done you know not to make it sound like you'll always lose weight when you're vegan because that sounds fucking unhealthy like they're healthy human beings who do veganism and i like i admire it because that's where i want to get to um but i think if you're in a certain situation then the motivation might be different because like Mm -hmm. it forces you immediately I don't know what the big things were for you to cut out chocolate. Yeah, at least milk, chocolate, milk, cheese. Cheese. Um, I I was brought up pescatarian, so I never ate meat, but right. fish was a big one. 
um, eggs. Yeah, just anything, anything I could, and anything I could make an excuse and say that's not vegan, even if it yeah. was, because it's just so easy rather than confronting those demons just to be like oh but I can't have that yeah, yeah. or there's nothing on the menu here I can eat so I'm just going to sit here and sip a cup of water while yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of a power move I kind of like I don't know you, had, feel you like had power over your own your own control yeah. and you kind of feel I don't know I felt really uplifted by it and I started getting really into nutritional science and mm -hmm. I was so convinced that I was so healthy and I knew everything about macronutrients and I knew everything about vegetables and the What's perfect diet. What's a What? So macronutrients like um, protein, carbohydrates. What's um, a nutrient? Fats. Food? <laughs> yeah, nutrients are, oh God, I would have known back then, but so okay so interesting sorry but yeah totally not I'm just fascinated but yeah but that's the thing that I think that's where in I called them something quotation marks thank you Jesus Christ <laughs> uh, normal people yeah they can just go I, for whatever animal uh, protection or protection of the ecosystem or whatever it is I'm mm -hmm. gonna not eat certain foods which doesn't mean I restrict my life because you can make incredible food that's vegan oh, yeah. or vegetarian or pescatarian or, or vegetarian or whatever. But I think the, the eating disorder or just the mental health aspects of feeling like you're not in control of your life, it can feel incredibly empowering if you suddenly have that one thing you, to latch onto, which yeah. is something you can control to the max. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that that's how it felt if you sit at that table and you go, I can't eat any of this. And I'm not eating any of this. Yeah. And you know that you've won over something. Because you know that brain. you want it. Yeah. And if you don't yeah. give yourself something you want, that's you're taught that you're avoiding temptation from such a young age. If you want something but you don't have it, you're resisting temptation and that's strength. Yeah. And that's that's something I didn't have growing up. I didn't feel like I had strength, even though a lot of people used to always say, You're so strong. But I yeah. was never strong because I was just dealing with something that was happening to me. It didn't feel like strength and I just right. felt like all this control had been taken away from me. So I got to this point and I finally had control. I had that power. And yeah, I was taking it a bit far. <laughs> but I thought I was so healthy and I was buying all these books and I was teaching myself all of these half-truths about nutrition mm. and what you should eat to have Selective the perfect amount of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... I was reading things that were telling me how to be healthy, but I was picking and choosing what I sure. believed. Um, so I made this project about the negative effects of sugar um, from all of these horror stories that I'd read about sugar doing things to your body. And I kind of veiled it in a piece about health and about how we can live with better energy and how dangerous sugar can be to the body or whatever mm. but really it was me saying this is a thing that is scary and it makes you I don't know I think <clears throat> I, w I wanted an excuse to restrict yeah. with, without beating around the bush that's yeah. what I wanted so I spent 10 weeks giving up sugar um, completely from my diet it's a long time man yeah <laughs> um, and I tell you what my skin was really clear um, so that was a positive. Um, and I did make a, a really interesting project about sugar, a kind of an immersive experience um, 
which was a positive um I'll get onto but um in the same way I was kind of just yeah going into myself and I can't I realized I wasn't healthy and that it was a problem because I went shopping with my mom and she said let's go and get a snack like what would you like and she we always used to kind of have these cute little I don't know outings um and we'd always go and get a cute little snack and it'd be nice and we went into the shop and she was like what do you want you can have whatever you want and I'm looking around desperately checking all the packets to see the sugar Mm. info and I just broke down in the middle of this shop looking at these packets because I couldn't find anything that had less than x amount yeah Yeah. and I was like whoa like this is this is not good um I'd I'd fooled myself into thinking I was being really healthy and and improving my life and actually I I wasn't but in the same time I was improving my life um Fred's back (laughs) (laughs) hello Fred yeah I, I kind of was improving my life but not trying to because this piece I'd made although it was so damaging to my mental health I was I was still kind of using that as a way to deal with what I was feeling I guess um and I'd made this kind of immersive installation and I didn't know but that was kind of what I was going to get into um and yeah I found that I don't want to say I found that useful. That sounds rubbish, but <laughs> it was um, well, an awakening it, experience, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, useful is a term my therapist loves, so I think useful is an absolute fine <laughs> thing to find something, especially if you've. What I found really interesting is that you said because that's what you think of, especially children battling cancer, you imagine that strength that they have, right? Yeah. But you, what I found very interesting. Um, and I believe there is strength because you know you might not even understand it but you're sort of keeping yourself together and your body's going through a lot and you're and like I don't think that someone who doesn't survive the treatment didn't have the strength no but I think um, you know that there's something going on that's bigger than you Mm -hmm. but I understand what you're saying when you say yeah but I was just there and the thing that people told me made me strong you didn't have any control because what could you have done yeah. otherwise, right? Um, so I do find it very interesting how um, you you must have gone from it, uh, being looked at from the outside as something which is strong and on the inside not really having a connection with something that other people connected with you. Yeah. And I would imagine that it's a very powerful moment to find that connection to strength within yourself. Yeah, um, and I imagine, as far as I understood, that sort of happened through the arts and potentially started with that project. Yeah, I think that's the place where I started to think actually I'm, I'm kind of okay at this. Um, my, my tutor. This is going to sound really braggy and big-headed, but my tutor, in front of the class, was like, "Jay is my favorite," and I was like, "Hang on, I've never been anyone's favorite," and he was like look what she's doing she she works so hard and she's really pouring pouring her soul into her work and I don't think that's braggy I think that's a wonderful compliment and I think you're allowed to you know take (laughs) that in and be proud of that because we're taught that we shouldn't like celebrate too much almost Mm. and it's like no hold on that something incredible and kind and encouraging was that yeah 
and I think it's absolutely fine to take it as such mm. be proud of that yeah I'm trying <laughs> it was it was nice because I'd never kind of I never thought of myself as anyone's favorite anything and I'd never thought of myself as a successful artist I was always just doing it because my friends were doing it mm. or just How doing it because it gets when me when by that happened? Was that in school or you... um, so this was on my foundation course which is kind of like a pre-university mm, year mm-hmm. um, so I was between the ages of 18 and 19 um, and that must have been a very powerful moment, right, in that yeah. space. Because I think it was the first time where I actually felt like I was good at something. Yeah. Um, and not good at something in the way I could paint a beautiful picture that looks like something. Yeah. Um, which was kind of always what my family sort of wanted. And, yeah. Um, what you sort of taught that good at something means, yeah, doing yeah. it well. Yeah. But what he meant was that I was good at something because it meant something to people um and because it meant stuff to me and because I was learning and growing as a person I don't think I ever looked looked at kind of being good at things as being able to take a journey out of them Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of where everything blew up because um kind of back to the fuck it moment (laughs) I I was doing this illustration and graphic design course, so I applied for a bunch of universities to study illustration because I'd already been told that I was kind of crap at graphics, which I knew. <laughs> so you did, even though you didn't like the idea of studying graphic design, you did get something out of that foundation course that actually helped you. Yeah, right. um, because it was actually um, anyone who wants to study art, I'd say do a foundation year because I learned so many things about myself, um, and I learned that art isn't just that thing that you kind of see on the walls in galleries I think they encourage you to think more openly mm-hmm. um, in school it's very rigid and you're taught this is how painting is done this is how art is made and you can't do anything else I was told you can't put text in your paintings you can't can't write on them and you can't use oh, black and I love it's for high school art and, teachers yeah that's the best people man <laughs> I mean saying that I my mean, high I'm school sure art teacher ones. is my favorite man on the planet I'm, I'm sure they're great ones <laughs> like that sort of, but like it's interesting how it's like it's so structured when you're like mm-hmm. it's art class but then it has to be in that structure and I love that I just want you can't put text on your paintings like yeah but okay thanks that's like it, it's a rule and then I got to this place and they were like hey draw of a stick I was like excuse me a stick yes a stick and a toothbrush and a bubble blower and I was just like awesome wow I can do all these things that are still art if you call it that okay like this is this is crazy I can express myself however I want yeah um so you made a painting using a stick a toothbrush and a bubble maker yeah all sorts of things so is, was that what you used to put the paint on the canvas? Yeah, so it was a, these were kind of instruments to draw with ink. So I was still using oh, traditional tools like ink and paint. But you but would use things that you wouldn't have thought of. As, yeah, that's so really it was cool. kind of thinking of the weirdest way to create the art possible. Um, Which I guess brings you closer to what you like. Because you, if you've always just used pen, pen and ink or whatever, quilt and ink... Uh, and then suddenly, and you're like, not doing it. But then you go, oh, let's do something weird. You probably go, actually, got capacity for so many different options. Yeah, and I think it teaches you problem-solving skills as well. It's it's not just about what comes out at the end. It's kind of... Because you're trying to express something and 
-hmm. emotions are so hard to express um, mm -hmm. and when you realize there are all of these options out there to express them um, I think it it opens up the possibilities for these things like self-healing and discovering who you are and all of that mushy stuff <laughs> mushy but important yeah definitely or mushy and important um, but yeah I think that's true and I think like I'm like I've no fucking clue I always explain my generalized anxiety with I've got feelings I think they're in my belly they're just sort of in a big ball and I've mm -hmm. no fucking clue what's what and what's happening and why it's there and so I have a baseline of like confusion and then when it gets really bad and there's too many feelings I get more anxiety or I get an anxiety attack um, and I think it's true it's very funny because like I, I've started writing or I mean I guess I've always written and then I haven't for a while and then I did it again I used to write poetry as well when I was a young boy <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh uh, just, now I have the black thread in my brain. Oh um, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I my have father to. took. I know. Yeah. Um, just in case anyone's confusion about my story about me being a young boy, it was just the first line of the welcome, whatever. Um, but I did a poetry thing when I was younger, and I was in my goth emo face. I was like, if Villafalo can talk about death and love and blood and. I can do that as well so that's what I did um, <laughs> and I think I was exploring myself through that and then through writing and I found a piece that I started writing when I was 19 and it was about this girl who sort of had no real connection to her parents and had mental health issues and I was like <laughs> yeah that's me um, and like um, and meets a stranger at a funeral I have a weird um, obsession with putting people together when other people die and my first short film is also it's called The Wake and it's about two people meeting at a funeral or at a wake I guess um, so I don't know why that's an interesting thing to explore but um, I never thought that the, the act or the maybe the acting thing but the writing thing I never thought that was particularly personal because I was like it's two people doing stuff and I like it's a fun story um, and then I would bring like show them to people or people would watch them and then I'd mention something else about my parents or about my past or whatever and they're like oh now I get your film and I'm like huh what is nothing to do with each other except that obviously the films came out of me and the confused emotions are inside of me and I think sometimes your emotions go tell that story and then through that story you you get something that maybe if you don't even get that it's your emotion yeah you're getting something and you're sort of crossing a bridge and putting something from a compartment of I don't get this to closure and I feel like you definitely indirectly processing if you don't if you're not good at directly processing does yeah. that make sense definitely it kind of comes from a subconscious place and yeah I think without knowing it we're just dealing with it by making things that we think are dumb I guess yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's very true and both of those funeral things sorry I'm just analysing myself now started <laughs> with the death of a father um, and my parents some biological father I haven't met since I was three so that's one for next therapy session <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, interesting uh, but yeah I never thought about that see now we've made that connection in my head isn't that jolly um but yeah that's that's the cool thing about art isn't it that we 
And I think like anyone and everyone, because we're always told that some people are creative and some aren't, which I don't think is true. And that Brenny, mm-hmm. do you know who Brenny Brown is? She's yeah. amazing. I think you'd love her. I'll send you her TED talk. She's the same shame researcher. And she talks about this thing where we're all creative and we all should be creative and express ourselves. But most adults she talks to who have like a non-creative day job and don't paint and don't draw and don't whatever have a sort of trauma. That's, I think, why I was a bit shitty about art teachers. Um, have a, a, a trauma that happened to them in their childhood where someone said, that was good. Or the way mm-hmm. you're expressing yourself there, don't do that. Yeah. And and all of, like a lot of the people who don't see themselves as creative just have a very deep-seated trauma of being told that they weren't good enough at it at an age where that really left an impression on their yeah. brain. And now they're just not expressing themselves, even though they might be able to create just as incredible things and, and different yeah. things and explore themselves through that um, and I think that creativity should be encouraged at any age for anyone definitely and that anyone can be creative yeah because I think everyone's afraid that creativity means you have to be technically brilliant at things and you don't yeah. have to you don't even need to be able to draw figuratively at all yeah like just make marks that come from somewhere they don't even have to mean anything nothing art doesn't have to have a meaning it doesn't have to look like anything yeah it's it's a process and it's a journey um I remember when I was in school just thinking about what you just said I had an art teacher and I was having a breakdown because I had this this um this kind of assessment coming up and I was just looking at my drawings and I hated them and she came over and she was like well honey some people can draw and some people just can't and she just walked off and that was crushing (laughs) it was really crushing (laughs) and I just couldn't believe that they'd just spoken to me like that um it's it's also great that's not like try hard it's like well you shit so yeah she didn't even try to well this could be improved or that it wasn't constructive it was just well some people can draw and some people can't and I, I I guess you can't mate um and I was horrified and I think it could have all just ended there mm. and I could have just put down the paintbrush and never never done it again and and I mean I, I, I kind of did because I did kind of stop drawing um oh wow but, there you go um not at that moment um I actually yeah I because I was doing my foundation course and I didn't really want to go into graphic design um so I decided I was going to go into illustration and I got accepted into a few universities um, mm-hmm. and that was a real confidence boost. But I got rejected from some of the biggest art schools in the country and that really shook my confidence with drawing and I kind of thought I was never going to make art again. I was like, well, if I'm not going to get into the biggest art school in the country, I don't want to go. Mm. Because I kind of, I went to a grammar school um, growing up, which is kind of selective, a selective school where you have to do a test to get in and um do they still exist some okay so the government have very very recently been shutting them down and kind of yeah removing the grammar system because it is uh i'm sorry to the people who kind of shaped me as a woman or whatever but um it was elitist um and i had friends whose parents were scolding them for not getting an a star in their right even if they got an A, you know? It's not um, good enough. No, it was So never... I imagine if that's the uh, environment... Sorry for that weird pop sound. Um, if that's the environment that you grow up in, mm. then if not, if you're not 
in quotation marks and the best of the best. Yeah. There's not a point to go. I had that same thing with Rada. I was like, if I don't get it to Rada, I'm not doing acting. Then I did the worst fucking audition ever, anyone's ever done. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe it's not Rada's fault that I didn't get into Rada. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that weird thing. Like with everything, you sort of have that feel that need to be the best. Yeah. Which is hilarious in art in the first place. Because nobody's says, the best. Yeah. Like, who's the best at art? That's not really a thing that works because some no. art works for you and then doesn't do anything for me and exactly. vice versa. It's entirely subjective. So I don't know why I thought there was there was this bar that I had to reach. and I suppose it's something that you've grown up with, right? So it's, yeah. it must be ingrained somewhere. That And it was kind of that moving away from not being able to do things. There was always this, you can't do that because you're too sick. You can't do that because... Right. Um, x y and z and and i was sick of telling myself that i can't and other people telling me i can't and so when i didn't get into these art schools for illustration i was i was really upset but i'm not an illustrator yeah Um, and that's that's what i had to learn that that's that's not my thing and you don't have to be good at the things that other people are good at because everyone else in my class was going to all these great universities for for illustration for graphic design and and i just wasn't going to get there um and Basically, I fell in love with London College of Communication when I looked around there, and um, and I was so upset when they didn't offer me a place on their illustration course. And then I got this email, and this is going to sound like I got an email from a Nigerian prince or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to give me a load of money. It wasn't a scam; it was real. Um, but um, offering me a place on this course I'd never heard of in my life, Interaction Design Arts. And I was like, they're just putting me on this throwaway course just because they can't make up the numbers. Mm. Like, it's just because I'm crap, it's bullshit, I'm so upset. Um, and then I kind of just thought, but this is something that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at all this stuff that they do and they were exhibiting at the Science Museum and I was like, I'm I'm going to do that. Um, I don't that know how to do awesome. any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah but... But I, I know how to draw, sort of, but I don't know how to code and I don't know how to to make interactive installations or yeah. immersive experiences. I've, I've tried my hand at it without kind of realising with this whole sugar project, but I've never had a chance to make it in a nurturing environment. And so I just kind of went, fuck it, like I'm going to university I to learn. That. I love that as a motto. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone should just try that once in a while because <laughs> honestly, I think that's, I know I'm only young, but it's safe to say that that is probably the best decision I've ever made in my life, is just to turn around at that moment and say, fuck it. Um, everyone was telling me I'd never get a job out of this. I'd, I'd struggle because everyone would be better at me, beca- better than me because they'd know how to do it and I wouldn't. And I was sick of telling myself that I can't do things. Um, because the thing... So I had a, this mentor slash acting teacher slash friend who always says, you know what... Um, if you think you might be able to do something you might if you tell yourself you can't then you're right yeah and i think that's literally the a thing to live by like Mm -hmm. if you tell yourself something isn't gonna work it's not how is it gonna yeah like um and i think it's a very strong and amazing thing that you that you did that because it's um it's hard to answer to other people but I think it's even harder to answer to yourself sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
And I think I still had that doubt in my mind, what, even when I got there, that everyone was... I still have that doubt in my mind. I'm lying to myself, saying that I, I had it but in the past. But, yeah, it, um, I kind of... I, I still thought that I wasn't going to be good enough and all this kind of stuff. But once I got there, it was just life-changing. I'd have never learned how to do things like woodwork back mm. in... Like, well, we didn't do woodwork at the girls' school. Like, <laughs> there were some woodworking things, but, like, ladies don't Tiny do that. lady stuff. Yeah. Um, none of that. We were making purses, like, based oh. on accessorise and wow. kind of stuff like that. Um, it was very, it was very, uh, yeah, it was gendered. Lady, lady woodwork. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing ever. Lady woodwork. Um, oh, sweet Jesus. But I think, yeah, some of... I mean, one of the first projects I did was... Could I, be a euphemism, sorry. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we saved our brains well and truly into the gutter. <laughs> that's where I live, and that's where I take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, mm. continue. Yeah. I was just... See, that's when I got big-headed and thought, I'm fucking hilarious, I'll point that out. You are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, but you, you were... So you had yeah. never done non-lady woodwork? Yeah, or programming or coding. I not I didn't think that computers and art could be a thing except for typography and website design, which I absolutely hated. Mm. Um, so it was just this whole new world that was opened up to me and and like you can try anything and it was it was crazy. One of my first projects I set fire to a bunch of matches and nearly exploded the whole place and it was beautiful. Sounds awesome. <laughs> um, and I I just felt so empowered because it was like yeah. just make some fire just out of pure rage, just why not? Um Interesting. And, yeah. <laughs> what what happened there? Um so it actually it was a project um we had to make it was typography, it was back to typography and I fucking hate it um, and we had to make these title sequences for films and mm. um but it had to be using typography what's that typography um so it's basically fonts the art oh. of writing words um okay. so it, i could have gotten that from context <laughs> some people <laughs> some people are really good at it and like good for them and stuff and it is a really sought after industry but I just find it so tedious um, what so you make up a new font yeah so you oh. make fonts or you make words out of other objects um, I see okay so at the Got time I was really obsessed with the film Submarine um, and I see okay. the girl in the film she's obsessed with matches and I was like I can do something with this because I hate typography and I want to burn it and the girl's obsessed with matches so I titled, well, super glued all these matches together and then I was like right Joel my tutor I'm gonna set fire to this and he went no you're fucking not <laughs> and I was like yeah yeah, yeah. so it, I had to the whole class came out and watched me because I had to go out for this special designated area and set fire to this the thing for area. health and safety because everyone was convinced it? it would explode yeah <laughs> that sounds like the best thing ever it was so much fun um it was so liberating and I think yeah to kind of that opened my life up. That was the first time where I felt... People were genuinely interested in what I was doing just because it was crazy. And mm. and it was nice that people were just interested, interested in me. Like yeah. It wasn't a, you're good at this, because it wasn't that great. But, but it was different. Yeah, they were interested in the place that it was coming from in my mind. Um, which, yeah, that, that was a really good starting point I feel like I'm waffling loads <laughs> no, no 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 it's really interesting but um yeah so um then I guess 
I fell into a kind of depression and fell out of it a bit. Um, my first year of uni was really tough. Um, I had quite a messy breakup with yeah. um, with this guy that I was dating since I went to school and um, we kind of we thought we were going to be together forever you know the story um, and uh. it was kind of it was a bit of a codependent relationship it was yeah. a lot of kind of it was a lot of caring and it was a lot of him caring for me um, more than anything because I was just that unstable purely because I'd had this difficult upbringing and I just didn't know how to function as a human being and and he was really trying to help me um, but we kind of had this really messy breakup and he said he'd never talk to me again and I just felt abandoned by my best friend this this person was um at that age my, he was my whole life at that age and it was it's, it's so strange to look back on it now and be like well you just yeah but that that wasn't kind of the whole reason for it there were a lot of things going on at home um, my parents split up um which is a really strange thing to go through when you're an adult as well I think because a lot of my friends when I was in school their parents had divorced and they'd kind of only ever known that since mm. they were children um but I'd always thought my parents would be together forever and I'd gone away to uni and when I came home my parents weren't living together anymore and it was like yeah that must be a culture shock like yeah you've the thing that because I think also as a child I might be wrong about this I don't know I feel like a bunch of people probably are fucked up through divorce but um and some are fine or oh, they're all fine but you as a kid, I think you're adaptable mm -hmm. to your living situation. I might be making this up, but I imagine your brain's more mushy and you sort of get away with stuff mm -hmm. changing. But then you're 20, whatever, and you're set in the idea that your parents are your parents and they live in that one house. Yeah. And then you come home and then they're not. That's almost harder to understand because like, yeah. like, it's almost like you've left them you've left everything where you know it would be sort of you mm -hmm. left everything in its place and then you come back and it everything is different yeah and you were not that. advised <laughs> no i mean i found out over the phone my mum phoned me and was um i'd actually i'd put taken my phone out my pocket to call her and tell her that um i was going to go into therapy and she phoned me. I was like, this is excellent. My mum's phoning me. I can tell her that I'm going to go into therapy. Um, and she was like, just to let you know, we're not going to be living together anymore and I need to move house. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I imagine that's a hard call to get, especially because I guess you weren't in the best place ever. No. If um, you were... I mean, I don't think you need to be in the worst place to start therapy. I think it's a good thing if you know that you might need it actually to be honest everyone get therapy if you can um but clearly that was something that was on your mind yeah and that you need assistance with and then you get this gigantic yeah revelation because we've been through well we'd, we'd obviously been through quite yeah. a lot together when i was a kid so it was it was really strange um so that those two things amongst other things were just kind of yeah they took a toll i was wildly depressed um and there were other things going on university friends being in I started slipping into being an outcast again um and I think I just found that so tough I just couldn't deal with it anymore and one thing led to another and I landed myself in hospital um and yeah 
that's kind of where everything started going downhill because I thought that was going to be the end and it wasn't um, and I came back and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be I thought I was just going to come out of hospital and everything would go back to normal but there's crisis teams and there's people being genuinely frightened for and of you um, people thought I was a danger to them as well as myself um, I wouldn't have a fly <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I, I mean everyone acts out don't they but like I've yeah and I, I like being I'm imagining suicidal if that's yeah an okay things put out there um doesn't equal homicidal yeah it doesn't no. exclude it but homicidal can happen on its own or in combination yeah and I imagine if that would have been a danger then you wouldn't have gotten out of hospital exactly that would have kept me there that's that was my main fear that I was going to be sectioned and that would be it and I'd never be allowed to see the outside and I thought everyone was going to think I was a psychopath. And not everyone thought I was a psychopath, but there were people throwing around crazy bitch, psycho, that kind of stuff. Because people are really good at handling mental illness. Yeah. Oh, people are excellent at handling mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> I can sense the sarcasm. Um, so it was, yeah, it was crazy. And I kind of just went into this depression and I wasn't making any of my art. And I felt lonely. I felt abandoned. And I couldn't form relationships anymore because... I'd felt like if these three people, this this guy that I'd been with and my parents could betray me so much, then how could I trust myself not to betray me and how could I trust other people not to betray me? Um, it's a very fundamental betrayal. Mm. Even if in theory your parents don't owe you a happy marriage. Yeah. Um, as well as that relationship whether it's codependent or not, if it's that fundamental to you, uh, it's going to hurt if it's gone. Yeah. And it's going to feel... And I guess um, for someone who has found it hard to connect, it's a very... Um, or like anyone, it seems like, this specific situation, sort of unfortunate events linking into each other... Um, I think would be hard for anyone to go through yeah I think it was kind of that it was kind of that step back like I'd started to find people who I sort of belonged with kind of regardless of how healthy that might have been at the time yeah um, and suddenly that was ripped away from me and it was it was difficult to process and I was still going through my eating disorder and still denying it um, and going through depression and anxiety which I was also denying because I've been brought up in a household where my dad thought that mental illness didn't exist um, even though his dad on a regular basis from what I've been told would go to the, take himself down the crisis centre because of suicidal ideation but according to my dad mental illness was always something that kind of which he learned from his parents which I think is really bizarre that people just do it to to get benefits from the government or to not have to work he he thought that mental illness was a thing that lazy people make up to make an excuse for themselves um so yeah that that was so it makes in complete sense um and i grew up with something similar my mother it was an insult like to be crazy in quotation marks mm -hmm 
there was no mental health. Like something happened to me when I was very young where mental health care would probably have been an incredible help. But that was not even brought up. Yeah. Or if I'd say, you know, you're hysterical because I heard my dad say it, she would freak out, Mm -hmm. which I thought was hilarious. If you tell someone they're hysterical and then they get hysterical. (laughs) Um, But it was that word. And I understand that that word in itself has its connotations. But just because it sort of was a chase and too crazy or mentally ill, it was such a taboo. Mm -hmm. And so when I was growing up with depression and anxiety, that wasn't, I didn't know what it was. I just thought, well, I'm unhappy. I didn't even think that. I don't think you think that far. When you're not in an environment where your mental health is valid Mm -hmm. and the way that you feel about your mental health is valid and that. It's something that you need to take care of just as much as your physical health. Yeah. Um, and and so it's a big step for you to go to a place where you can get therapy. But it's also, I think it's always going to be, a, at the beginning, it's going to be a struggle to actually go, hold on, I'm mentally ill. Yeah. Because that's not an acceptable thing or it's something mm. that actually exists yeah. as it appears, right? Because it's... It's not that physical. And even with an eating disorder, like... It sounds so bad, but people don't take you seriously unless you're size, whatever. Like Yeah, that's... Exactly. You have to be mentally ill to a degree that's visible. Yeah. And with this kind of illness, it's kind of... Once you get to that point, you're almost dead. And people are expecting that from you. People are expecting you to be on death's door before they take notice. And it's really and sort of if you're doing fine, you're overreacting or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Or if you look like you're fine, in inverted commas, yeah. people don't take your mental struggles so seriously. I've noticed a lot recently people are saying, oh, you're getting so much better with your eating. And it's like, I'm not. My body looks like it's healthier than it was, but this is an illness in my brain. It's a mental yeah. illness. It's not a physical illness. And um, you can cure symptoms, yeah. but what needs to be dealt with is the underlying mental illness yeah the cause yeah exactly um so yeah it's kind of frustrating especially being able to compare that to my experience with having cancer a very physical very obvious illness um and there's a lot of time spent in hospital and you're expected to lie down and to rest Mm -hmm. and to heal but with a mental illness there's nothing about resting and healing i was like chucked around mental health centers for so long and they were refusing to review my medications even though I was hallucinating and I was constantly itching and I was becoming this person that I hated um why would they how can they reject someone asking for help honestly I had a set amount of weeks to be in their service and to be out the door again yeah it's so sad it's unbelievable that's where whenever I'm like I'll get mental health treatment I'm very aware of the fact that I'm very privileged because I have private health insurance um, and found the perfect therapist and and like won't know how like because private health insurance also has a very limited amount of time Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to pay her when I don't have private health insurance anymore but it's that that's the thing where I'm like well I'm just I mean, I understand that there's a fundamental funding problem. Yeah. Which means there aren't enough places, which means there's waiting lists, which means you've got to go in for a certain amount of weeks and then you've got to go because someone else is going to need that bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that people... And that's exactly the problem. People are being left by the wayside because they're not currently dying. Yeah. 
Um, I like I remember the first time I went counselling, I got twelve sessions, and I was sort of sort of thinking, okay, this is starting to help, but then then it was over, and the lady lied or misinformed me, or I wasn't listening, and said there is nothing more that we can offer you, which isn't true because you can get long term therapy through the NHS. Yeah. Um, and I remember feeling really helpless and in one of the sessions I mentioned that my you know I was bulimic um, and I was explaining that I was sort of dealing with it and sorry I'm playing with the microphone um, and that I sort of had gotten it under control and I only threw up a couple of times a week and her answer was well it seems that you've got it under control I'm not sure what else we could do for you and I was like, sorry, how bulimic do I have to be mm-hmm. to get help? Because if it has to get to a place, because bulimia or any eating disorder or mental disorder, they don't usually just go away. They mm-hmm. can. And like I've dealt with my bulimia on my own and it was fine for a while. Um, but they usually snowball, right? Mm-hmm. So you just sort of go, I'm at a place where it's manageable. But that's not good enough to no. be managed. Sorry, it's getting really dark. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Natural light is leaving us and it's getting all dus- dus- dusky? No. Dawny? No. Dusky. Dusky, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what's the morning thing? Dark. Okay. Um, and that's the thing where you like, we're, we're entirely relate because, but I'm still horrified that you can experience hallucinations as mm-hmm. a side effect of medication. I, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, could you not have been seen as an outpatient? Was there no way? They were literally giving me... So, because I was... So, I went home with my mum for a while because because I'd landed myself in hospital and she wanted to look after me, which sure. was it's fair enough. And, and I tried to stay at university for a while, but I was away from home and I was frightened and I was at risk of doing it again, basically. So, yeah. I, I went home. So, I was only really able to see the mental health team, sort of once a month um so I was going to see them about once a month which I think is how they kind of cut my sessions down because I was supposed to have 10 but they kind of made out that I was having them once a week when it wasn't and I kind of ended up with about four um which wasn't ideal and they were all with different therapists so I never got to know anyone it was the same mm. assessment every time um yeah I forgot what I was saying about being at home and therapy being far away um yeah so I was not really having many sessions I was hallucinating but it was at home and I was being looked after for my mum so it didn't really matter to them do you remember I don't know if this is a very intrusive if question what the hallucinations were how that felt they were really dumb hallucinations I mean yeah this one this one night I woke up and it must have been about four o'clock in the morning and I saw this rat in my bedroom and and it was massive and it was running around and I saw it go into my wardrobe and I could see it in there and I and for some reason I just thought to myself I have to catch this rat and it sounds like it was a dream and I wish it was because it was so weird but I spent from four o'clock until like eight o'clock the next morning trying to find and catch this rat that wasn't there um, that doesn't sound dumb. That just sounds really scary. It it was kind of scary. I I love animals, so like I think oh, so part of me was like I need to pet time. this rat. Oh it was my kind God. of it was. Sh- I mean, that's obviously not a positive experience. Yeah, but it seems 
Like, that seems less horrifying to me. Yeah, it wasn't as horrifying. I hear a lot of people have some really terrifying hallucinations where they see these demons and these dark things, but it was just this lovely little rat that I was trying to find. But I was distressed because, like, where has this rat come from? Why am I trying to find it? Why can't I stop trying to find this rat? So it was maybe a little bit psychosis as well. I don't want to self-diagnose. But that kind of thing. And also hearing music, I was... um, around a friend's house and I woke up and I was like who's put the record player on like in your Bowie playing and she was like nobody's put the record player on and I was like yeah they have and we went downstairs and there's a record player no record on nobody else is in the house it's just us two I'm like but I can still hear it and it's so loud and she's like there's there's no music and uh, by this point I'm kind of crying like but you I can hear David it Bowie? yeah which of song? all things I can't remember which song that it was off the hilarious. top of my head but like but it was it sounded like an actual I could hear it like recording. it was the track yeah um, and so it was fine until I realized it wasn't real and then it was the most terrifying thing I've ever because you couldn't turn it off I couldn't I turn it off and I didn't know where it was coming from and I spoke to my therapist and she was like oh yeah didn't you read the side effects on your medication you like <laughs> one in however million people have said they get hallucinations okay yeah and they were kind of like but it's not proven because correlation doesn't equal causation and all that kind of stuff and oh and i was like but 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 i'm getting these symptoms so can i change my meds yeah and they were like well yeah we'll give you a meds review okay so next time i go i'm like can we have this meds review oh we'll, we'll book you in for one next time and they just kept doing this until they just they phoned me i didn't even have a session when they discharged me they phoned me to say there there was nothing else they could do for me goodbye um that sounds very i, I remember how i felt when i was discharged and obviously in a in a different state of mind and having gone through less dramatic circumstances i guess but how a um and even with my one year therapy through the NHS how terrified I was of it ending mm-hmm. and how that actually was a thing that came up in my sessions and I imagine that if you've gone through something even more traumatic and you're having audiovisual hallucinations on top of everything receiving a phone call saying there's nothing more we can do for you when I don't know how much better you are feeling mm-hmm. that must be quite distressing yeah I think I felt like a lost cause yeah and I'd already felt like a lost cause because I'd already been made to feel like I wasn't wanted by other people in my life um yeah I just I felt really alone because if even the NHS can't help me then then who can can. yeah and if they don't want me when their job is to care then how is someone going to care for me that doesn't get paid to do it you know um but you've gotten out of it, right? I mean, yeah. You've gotten out of it. But you, I suppose you found somewhere or somehow a way to navigate through that time. Yeah. Um, so um, after kind of all this crazy stuff, there's so much crazy stuff that I've not even gotten to <laughs> the important things, the, the good things, the happy things. Um, so, yeah, to kind of cut some long stories short, I had a a few other experiences like that I had quite an abusive girlfriend for a while um, and a couple of men who believed they could have whatever they wanted regardless of what I wanted let's put it like that um, to avoid going too deep into that but yeah um, some some negative things where again I didn't have control of my body it just keeps seeming to come back to not having control of my body and being isolated Um, 
so I just started throwing myself back into it again once I'd kind of the the depression just kind of was there and I was sleeping all the time and um it was one of those things where it's just like months of being in bed and not really doing very much mm. um and then I had this this talk with my tutor and he kind of he'd asked me about all these things and I explained to him and he, he didn't know, he didn't know about my past I assumed that there'd been some sort of medical notes passed on to the university in case something happened but he didn't know about any of this, he didn't know that I'd been through all these things that were going on, he didn't know I'd been in hospital um, and he just cried and that was kind of this moment where I felt like someone genuinely cared for me and I was like wow well, I can I need, to, I need to do something before it's too late because I've already had this horrible terrifying experience like I wouldn't wish suicide or suicide attempts on anyone because it's one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened to me. Um, so I kind of, yeah, I just threw myself into this art and in my final year of university, I just started making a list of all these things I wanted to work through. Um, so I had the whole cancer thing. I wanted to come to terms with it. Mm. And I wanted to come to terms with losing this guy who was not only my best friend, I thought he was my soulmate. Um, mm -hmm this kind of codependent thing. Um, I wanted to come to terms with the reason that was kind of behind all that, which which was a, I can never think of the word for this because I always say sexual assault, but it just doesn't feel like an assault when it's not, everyone thinks it's a back alley thing, but there was this sexual assault experience which made that happen and I wanted to come to terms with that as well. And another experience with a guy who I'd had a one night stand with who had kind of, told me I was the fattest girl he'd ever slept with mid-intercourse, which I think, the audacity, holy shit, and he thought I was going to give him a good fuck. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, humans are weird. Yeah, they're strange creatures, I don't know what thought, what That's an interesting thought to, to have that. as well, Yeah. just sort of go, the, um, okay. I don't know whether he thought it was a compliment or what, but I, yeah, that just that's something that really stuck with me and it was I wanted to process that um I've got some real issues with my body obviously coming from the whole eating disorder thing and sometimes I think everyone with an eating disorder necessarily has issues with their body because it's not always about that but I think everyone has issues with their body though like yeah. I think it ranges from am I too fat to does my vagina look all right do you know yeah. what I mean like, <laughs> that I find hugely important that's why I like miss gynecologists because in Germany you just sort of go mm -hmm. just go and you have like this thing I think women give birth in it where you have those two oh like things. stirrups yeah um, and here you sort of modestly lie in a bed where they sort of look at it from the side of it I always find <laughs> fucking hilarious because in Germany we're like what's up <laughs> um, and just having people look at it and go looking good down there mm -hmm. I fucking miss that from a professional because <laughs> like because everyone has body Im image issues yeah. and like and especially women are told to smell okay if not take perfume perfume which then makes everything worse because you're not supposed to put anything down there sorry it's very vagina centric this rant <laughs> i find it important like yeah we all think oh we're too fat or do i smell okay or do i taste okay or do i whatever there's so much that you've got to get like get to terms with mm -hmm. just because you exist and you're human yeah. and you've got shit tons of stuff telling you what to do and how to look and whether yeah which is weird because we're just animals at the end of the day yeah. and there's all these animals that just float around the planet 
being individual to each other they don't fucking care yeah but we do so much and i think yeah it's it's limiting it's really limiting because we're forgetting what it is to live a life and we're just being hung yeah. up on all these other things that aren't important but they're kind of important to us and but i mean it sounds like you've come such a long way and it sounds like because that's the thing in life um and again like i think i said this before we started recording i think there's no destination Mm. and i think like we need to give ourselves credit for the journey that we've been on until now yeah um and believe that it's gonna get better and i think that um and I bang on about him every time. Russell Brand, I was in a in a church on Primrose Hill, um, and I talked to him about my eating disorder, sort of vaguely disguised. Um, and he looked me in the eyes and he said, the first thing you need to realise is that you have a problem, what you have. Um, the second thing you need to realise is that you're not going to get out of it yourself and that you need help and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And what you also need to realise is that it's going to get better. Yeah. And he looked me in the eye and he said, it will get better and he was the first person I ever believed that and I think that is such an important thing to believe mm-hmm. um, but I, I feel like you're proving that because you've come from a lot of pain and a lot of things that have accumulated in your life but I think the incredible thing is that they've made you yeah, and you're amazing and you're you're you and there's just one you and you're creating these things that are coming from all of those places and I think that the damage is what makes us human and what what allows us to connect Um, and it's wonderful to connect on non-damage basis Mm -hmm. but I think the true connections and I get really soppy about this but I think if someone else's soul is cracked in the same place as mine it's a very specific connection and I think we've all got cracks in our souls from whatever small or big traumas or small or big pains or small or big doubts Um, if we're just more honest about those cracks in our souls with each other um, and we learn to express them through art or through communication through whatever it is I think I think that's a really amazing place to get to and I feel like that's a place it sounds that you've gotten to and that whatever part of the journey you are on um, you found a way to express yourself and learn about yourself through that expression yeah I'd say so Um, I guess I kind of I didn't necessarily come out the other side I think I'm not really healed yet yeah I'd started to learn how to heal myself. Yeah. Um, like each of these things that I'd made a list for, I made a separate project dealing with it. And they d- don't really make sense without an explanation, but they made sense in my mind at the time. And I did this weird thing where I made this giant man out of teddy bear stuffing, essentially. <laughs> and he was like six foot something. And I was just pretending it was my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And I was taking it out in public and people were staring at me but it was one of the first times that people were staring at me because they were genuinely intrigued Mm -hmm. and probably a little bit frightened but they were genuinely intrigued rather than staring at me because I looked deformed Mm -hmm. in quotation marks because Mm. like you look like a person yeah (laughs) yeah um when I was kind of 
younger, I used to always get stared at. So, so this was kind of, it was so liberating. And it was so liberating to learn about how I felt about these, these men who had affected me yeah. so negatively through this big, dumb, dummy thing. Um, and I started processing emotions. And it was, it was crazy how quickly things started to turn around and how quickly I started churning out work again after well, probably almost a year of just doing nothing. I almost dropped out. Um, and suddenly, suddenly people were coming to me and they were relating. Yeah. Like, please, please make more work. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of where I realised that I was doing exactly what I should be doing and that the fuck it moment had kind of made everything worth it. And regardless, kind of the pain that I'd been through was not worth it because it's, it it's horrible. Sucks. It sucks, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd come out the other side and there was something else there's a life waiting for me and that life wouldn't have existed if these things hadn't happened to yeah. me. I, if I hadn't have ended up in hospital in the first place when I got sick as a kid, I would have never started making art probably because I just wouldn't have had this enormous thing to deal with and yeah. I wouldn't have started learning performance unless I'd met that guy because he was a drama student and I wanted to learn performance too. And um, that in turn grew my confidence and brought me to art school mm. in some sort of roundabout way and and all these horrific experiences with men perhaps in a weird sort of way made me want to learn things about women and that's okay and that mm. kind of sort of helped me learn about my sexuality but so did the art and you know it's just it kind of it all intertwines and I think everything does kind of happen for a reason even if it's shit mm. um yeah and I think, I mean, I think there are people who would probably disagree with that sentiment, but I think that, again, like with everything, it's your right to deal with your past yeah. the way that makes sense to you. Mm. Um, and I entirely relate to the fact that if I was less, in quotation marks, fucked up, then I wouldn't be right here right now. And we wouldn't have this conversation. Exactly, and I wouldn't be wildly different. Exactly, and um, I wouldn't know the people I know, and I wouldn't know make the things I make, and my heart would be broken in different places, and then, mm -hmm. you know, that there'd be a different journey. And I think it, it's such a when you stay alive. It, there's this quote from a film called Over the Edge with Killian Murphy. Um, and it's it's a relief to be alive, isn't it? And it's about this group of kids in a mental hospital mm. who've all sort of tried to kill themselves, um, and that's why they're there. And this teacher, or teacher therapist, brings them to the side because he just had a stupid, I think, self-destructive fight, and he just goes, it's a relief to be alive, isn't it? And it was, when I was 19 in that big depression, such a big thing of, like actually yeah it's quite nice yes yeah. it's, it's good to be here mm -hmm. which is like really it sounds so unfundamental but it's the most fundamental thing you can yeah. do and I think once you've already considered your mortality in in that way or because you've been forced to yeah um, it's it's really interesting to see life for what it is which is this big journey and experience and and it's hard that's kind of what makes it interesting if that makes sense it's, it's not yeah. fun to go through stuff like that but 
I don't know, it, you learn and it shapes you, and I'm probably waffling about it again. No, um, no, no. I think it's hard, but it's worth it, and I think it's wonderful that you've come to that conclusion, and I think it's a conclusion that is so important, and, you know, if this conversation can help anyone get to that conclusion, then that would be nice, and I think life is as precious as it is because it's fleeting mm -hmm. but it's about those little moments when everything makes sense yeah um, whether it's in a piece of art or a piece of music or a connection with a person mm. um, and I think it's holding on to that moment that makes it okay when shitty things happen yeah definitely it's always that point of kind of self-acknowledgement that you can come back to and realize that sometimes things are shitty but they can be okay I guess mm. I don't know True. well thank you thank you this was such a wonderful conversation <laughs> went on such a tangent <laughs> oh it was fascinating I could listen to you for hours <laughs> you probably have I don't know what the time <laughs> is we are just just right on time we found our arch that was a worry we had didn't know if we'd find our arch we, we found, found our art somewhere <laughs> and that's another wonderful thing I think you know if you if you're just open and honest and you share things make sense in the end because <laughs> they kind of just naturally do um, do you have any anywhere where we can see your art anywhere online the website Instagram mm, so at the moment um, at j.whitehead Int Des Art, so I N T D E S A R T S. Can I'll I put spell? it in the show notes. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's it's due a rebrand because I I didn't touch it for some time. So okay. there are a few things there, and there's some the projects that I mentioned. You can actually see them because there's no use me explaining what they are because it's they're yeah, a bit but weird. If you but you send me a couple of links. Yeah, I'll, I'll send put them in the show notes, and I'd love to see them. Um, and I'd love to see see you again sometime. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we can check in and see where you're at. That would be really cool. Um, and you can just have a coffee without recording it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, thank you to everyone who's listening. Oh, this was so nice. I'm really happy that thank you Thank you for here. having me. It was thank so lovely. You. It was really nice. Um, I feel very warm inside now. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Masturbators. Um, it feels really bad to ask you to rate and subscribe right now so I'm just going to ask you to I don't know share share with a friend be be I don't know happy like this is just getting very hippy dippy but I think take a time to take a breath and think about what you're grateful for right now um and and that that's it and be yourself and understand that if you can I don't know how to be myself figure it out and know that it's okay to be whoever you are right now and that we're all fine and we're all different and that's good and then I will hear you no you will hear me I always say I'll hear you next week I fucking don't <laughs> you'll hear me <laughs> you'll hear me next week and right now you're hearing the intro and outro song that Jacob Welding the wonderful created for this podcast i can't believe my fucking luck and um tune in next time thank you for being here <laughs>
Bye. <laughs>